Hello. Welcome to North Coast Calvary Chapel's audio podcast. As a pastor, I've often thought of people coming through the doors of the church wearing chains and rags, and when they come into the presence of Jesus, we're set free from the chains. We've been dressed up into robes of righteousness. But we have to be careful about putting on some other robes. And those are the robes that judges wear. Robes of judgment. Where we pick up this robe and we pick up this gavel and we instead of being people who were once broken with chains and rags, we become people who are carrying a gavel judging the new people that are coming in the door. It's human. We meet people who are different than us. We meet people who have different views than us, express themselves different than us. I see that, you see that, but what do we do? We see it, we think about it, and then we begin to have this mental tension in our minds, and finally we relieve the tension by speaking about it to somebody else. And it's called judging. Let me read to you the words of Jesus. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way that you judge others, you yourself will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust at your brother, in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? And how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your, own, your eye when you all the time have this plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. I believe Jesus is telling us in this seventh and last act of righteousness that he hallmarks is that among his followers, we are in a judgment-free zone. Let me read to you verses one and two again. Don't judge or you too will be judged for in the same way you judge, you will be judged and in the measure that you use, it will be measured unto you. The seventh practice is telling us that even though the Pharisees practice the act of judgment, it's not to be in our repertoire. We're not to have that tool in our belt. Religious people are noted for thinking that if I know something, I now have an opinion about something and I can appear to be religious and righteous if I'm judging other people. And the Pharisees did it all the time. They thought they were right in doing it. Paul the Apostle, he was the ultimate judge and Pharisee, actually not only critiquing and criticizing Christians, but actually locking them up and killing them. The ultimate act of judgment. And Jesus says, it's not to be that way among my followers. It's not saying that there isn't any absolute truth. It's not saying that we just therefore believe whatever you believe and it's gonna be right, do whatever you wanna do and it's gonna be right. Jesus isn't saying that at all. He's not asking us to stop thinking. 
but it's where our thinking goes. So just as in the last practice that we studied a month ago, worrying, do you remember that? Worrying about this virus and the situation we're at? We think about the circumstances and then we begin to obsess about them and we go one step further to worry. And once worry sets in, I'm locked in. So the Pharisees were good at worrying and they were good at judging. So with judging, I think about something and then I begin to obsess the gears to begin to turn and it turns into judgment. So Jesus isn't stopping thinking, he's stopping where our thoughts go because when our thoughts go awry, it becomes stinking thinking. Jesus here is telling us not to judge and he uses this term, it, the Greek is krino, and it can be used positively, it can be used to translate as discernment or evaluation, it can be used for formal litigation as in a technical judge, but here he's using it as the pronouncement of guilt. I as the judge are judging you guilty determining somebody else's fate. So in this context, you might say he's talking really about condemnation. He's talking about you and me sentencing our brother or sister, being harsh, being unforgiving, being over-responsible. Why are we taking charge over their lives and critiquing them, being persnickety and perfectionistic about them? No one listening to the Sermon on the Mount could decide that Jesus is calling us to be harsh and judgmental. But there's this danger that once I begin to learn the Bible, once I begin to discover what God has in mind without personalizing and discovering my own faults and shortcomings, and without discovering God's mercy and forgiveness for me, then I become a dangerous Bible gunslinger. And I've seen them, you have too. It's almost like they carry imaginary pulpits around to tell people what they need to do and what they're doing wrong. And Jesus says it's really, really not helpful and it's not to be happening amongst us. There's something about religion that attracts darn right people. That in our personalities, we just tend to think we're always right. And then we, we see religion and we wanna go there. And in our pursuit of being right, rather than our pursuit of truth, notice the difference. One is associated with the ego, the other is honest and pure in heart. We want to attain king of the mountain. And so we use, end up using the Bible and truth uh, to advance our pride and to control other people. And we judge them on minor doctrines. We judge them about politics, how they dress, the music they listen to. My first introduction to Christ, I had heard about him a little bit and attended churches, but finally, now that the hippie movement was established and we were all running around with long hair and bare feet, 
uh, I stumble into this church and it was called, as you know, Calvary Chapel. And it was going through a crisis that I didn't know about. They had just put in this beautiful green shag carpet. Can't you picture it? Late 60s. And the people that had been Christians for a long time were freaking out because these young people were coming in barefoot and long hair. And the people were concerned about how they were dressing. Could God accept people with long hair? And they were going to destroy the carpet with their bare feet. And Chuck Smith's decision was, let's rip out the carpet then so that these people can discover the mercy, not the judgment. And that was a great decision. He was making it a a judgment-free zone. And the effect of judgment, if you're raised in this kind of environment, if you look back at your mom and dad and say, well, they were always judging me and always criticizing me, the effect is not to make us better and stronger at what we do. The, the effect is to erode our confidence. We don't feel like God accepts us. We don't feel like we're doing things right. If you've ever watched a mother with her child that maybe has some kind of uh, unusual characteristic go to the playground. Let's say it's a disabled child. And the mother takes her disabled child to the playground and watch how the other children interact. Now sometimes it's this wonderful instance where the other children have mercy and they accept the child right away. But usually what happens is they notice that something's wrong, something's different. And then, if there's a bully on the playground, the other children follow, and they become judges of that little disabled child. And then watch how the mother tries to choreograph this event so that her child experiences mercy, not judgment. We grow up the same way. We keep doing it over and over again with anyone who might be different. So Jesus says, in the same way that we judge others, God will judge us. Yikes, that's scary. This is the reverse of the fifth beatitude. God will have mercy on those who are merciful. It's the opposite of the fifth petition in the sermon on, excuse me, in the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debts as we forgive others their debts. He uses this strange picture here that most of us can't picture, but I can. If you've ever been to different cities in, in the Middle East or even into Turkey, one example is from Istanbul. Istanbul, you can go through the markets and and they have this one market that just has all kinds of various nuts. And and Turkey is known for growing these fabulous nuts. And you go up to any booth or marketplace and they'll take a, a scooper and just scoop it up and put it into your bag. But occasionally, you'll come up to someone and he begins to measure out these nuts on a scale. And, and you see him, one cashew, two cashews, and you think, really? Are you that much of a tightwad that you just can't give me a handful and I'll pay you for what it's worth? 
Uh, Jesus is giving that example. If we're the tightwad that's just measuring everything about everybody else, uh, Jesus says, watch out, because that's coming for you and me. Jesus uses this same example in Luke 6 in the opposite way, where he says, give, and it will be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, and shaken together and running over. Now picture that. You walk up to the booth for some cashew nuts and the guy just keeps loading them on, loading them on, pressing them down, not too hard so they don't squish. And, and then it's just overflowing as you pay for the bag. And Jesus says, if you become that kind of person in mercy towards others, that's the way God will treat us. Listen, judging is God's business, isn't it? Isn't that position filled? Uh, We can retire from thinking that we are called to be the judge. God only knows what that person has been through, what their genetics are, how they were raised, all the different circumstances that brought them to who they are today. And wouldn't it be great if we just gave them mercy? A survey that came out by the Barna Group and written in the book Unchristian, uh, revealed to us what people under the age of 25 thought of Christians. And the second word that came to their mind was judgmental. 82% saw us as judgmental. I don't think we are, but someone does. And Jesus is correcting us right here. It's to be a judgment-free zone. So where do we go from here? In the passage, in verse three, it says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye? And it uses this wonderful analogy from guess what? A carpenter's room. Jesus the carpenter remembers all the times working with wood with his father that he may have gotten some sawdust in his eye and how difficult it was to see. So when you and I get something in our eye, which we all have, we all have something wrong with us, how do we think that we have the best sight to help someone with their own eye? And so Jesus exaggerates it. He says, it's not just a sawdust in your eye or my eye, it's a plank. Now what if you were going into surgery, heart surgery or brain surgery, and guess who's coming in the room? A blind surgeon. How comfortable do you feel? Folks, we're to retire from judging. And so let's get the speck out of our own eye and deal with our own issues before we decide to be over-responsible and deal with other people's lives. Else we become what Jesus calls here a hypocrite. And he calls it an evil act. We think judging is doing the right thing, but it's, it's not. It's actually an evil act. So there's similar passages in the New Testament that would tell us that we need to be very, very careful. In Romans 2.1, it says, you have no excuse. So for whatever point you judge others, you are actually condemning yourself. In Galatians 1, it even warns us, if we're going to help a brother and correct them in their sin, Paul says, be gentle with them, lest you see yourself falling into sin. So as we move on, I want to 
paint this picture for you. What if you, with your nice little uh, smartphone, every time you saw a friend slip into an act that was horrible, you saw them do something horrible or they looked horrible, and you whipped out your camera, said, got it. And you carried around in your camera all the pictures of your friends looking their worst, screaming, yelling, getting angry, being undone. How many friends do you think you'd have? Well, judging does that. It takes a picture of people in their worst moment and then you carry it around deciding, yeah, that's who they are. But that's not how God sees us. James 2.13 says, mercy triumphs over judgment. That the mark of a Christian is love, not judgment. Paul says that we're to let our forbearance be known to all people. And forbearance means gentle, patient, uh, understanding. So let me close with five lessons for you. Five things to take, we'll call them take-homes. Number one, we will observe much more than we can judge. You're you're an observer, you got a mind, you got eyes. If you slip from that step into judging, that's where the problem is, so just know, you're gonna see a lot in life. If you feel yourself slipping into judging, just pull the lever that separates seeing, thinking, and judging. Those three gears, just pull the lever and separate the judging gear. You'll be fine, just see and observe. No comment, it's not up to you. Secondly, practice acts of mercy. Do them regularly. It'll help you, it'll relieve the tension. You wanna think something, you wanna do something, why not proactively be merciful? Thirdly, pray. When you see something that I do wrong, pray for me. There's an old saying that says, you can uh, say what you please, I'll pray for you on my knees. Number four, look inside and see yourself. Rather than judging them, take that opportunity to say, no, it's time for me to grow and learn more compassion that God has for me. And number five, people are wet cement. They're not done. If they were done, you could judge them. Say, well, that's a horrible book, that's a bad song, but it's not done. The song is still being written. The book is still being written. People are wet cement. Have you ever wondered why we all love the story of Jesus forgiving the woman caught in adultery. Everything about that story is the exaggeration of this issue of judgment. Pharisees, religious leaders, catching the woman in the very act, the worst act of her life, adultery, and they take the picture. Then they bring her to Jesus to condemn her and it's the worst condemnation, let's kill her. 
We love that story because we see ourselves in the story. Oh my gosh. We've all been judged. We've all experienced harshness and criticism. And at the same time, we've all been the religious people bringing people to Jesus. And Jesus is telling us, you're forgiven, why not forgive others? Go and sin no more and go and judge no more. Let's pray. Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you for the extreme forgiveness that we have experienced through Jesus. Lord, let us just drink in your mercy. And now, Lord, drain us of the need to judge and fill us with acts of mercy for others. In Jesus' name, amen. I've asked Nick Gilmore to join us today to unpack this whole idea of judgment and mercy. Nick, I think that something that most people aren't aware of is that you actually come from a home where your dad was a judge. He was paid to judge, and then you yourself went into law. So uh, tell me, what, what are some insights that you have about this subject of judging? Well, thanks, Mark, yeah, and great to be with you. Um, yeah, my dad is a he's a retired judge now, but between me and my siblings, I think there's five of us in the family who have had uh, legal training. For me, it feels like a past life, you know. Um, but I think um, I think it's it's so rich because justice is important to God, um, and in fact, you know, um, a, a life verse for my dad I know is Micah six eight. You know, he, he showed you, O mortal, what's good to act justly to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. But the key uh, really to do with today's scripture is how, how, it comes, how it manifests in us. Is it coming out of a place of condemnation or is it coming out of a place of discernment? Because we are called to be discerning. We are called to be wise. Um, but of course, it's not up to us to condemn. In fact, even Jesus, you know, after is uh, it John 3, 17, you know, he didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Uh, but yeah, I, I come out of that, that training in that family and it makes for fun uh, dinnertime conversation. Yeah, well, that you bring up a good point that uh, Jesus, the Messiah, comes to bring justice to the world, uh, put, to put the wrongs to right, etc., but not to condemn. Uh, but you have been in ministry for quite a while, both here at our church, but in Christian Surfers back in Australia. And I wondered, uh, what pain have you seen or experienced yourself when it comes to this harsh or judgmental attitude towards others? Yeah, well, I wouldn't be the first to point out that, that Christians who follow the way of love, we're not always the most loving of folks. But actually, uh, when you asked that question, I was actually a bit stricken because I was thinking, I am that guy. Left to my own devices, I would trend towards Phariseeism and, and legalism for sure. And, uh, and a story came to mind, it's a little embarrassing, but of a time when, uh, when I actually fell to that. And um, it was a, a meeting that we'd had, and it was quite a heavy meeting. I'd actually had to stand a few guys down from leadership positions and whatnot. And after they left, I was sitting there having a cup of tea with my wife. And, uh, and she said, honey, it's so great how you 
how you get to the truth. You just get straight through to the truth, kind of like a terrier. Um, and I'm sort of, at that moment, I was feeling pretty good about myself. Um, and then she, because uh, that's what my wife does. She, she lures me in and then sucker punches me, you know. And she said, but I'm not convinced the truth is enough. And of course, at that moment, I, my ears perked up and I'm like, honey, what do you mean? And, uh, and she said, well, you know, in, in Ephesians uh, 4, we're called to speak the truth in love. And, uh, and you, may have, you may have won that battle, but in fact, you lost the war with those people. And she was right. And so, uh, yeah, well, honestly, when you ask that question, my, my, my first reaction is, is I'm that guy. I'm that guy who trends towards harshness and, and unkindness and judgment. Um, so anyway, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we can all be that way. Uh, you know, in our church, you're one of the faces of the acts of mercy. We have a lot of acts of mercy, even in this COVID-19 uh, scenario where uh, we're doing all kinds of things in the community to express uh, Christ's love. What hope have you seen in the eyes of people who are experiencing mercy uh, from Christians it's, it has been remarkable. It's an awful time. There's no getting around it. But you're right, uh, Mark. There's been amazing uh, moments that I've seen where people have been touched, had their um, had their their lives kind of come into contact with the the love of Christ. Uh, a couple that comes to mind. I was talking with them uh, within the last uh, week and a half, and uh, and they uh, have been in, under financial hardship. They've lost their job. Um, both of them, both the husband and the wife have lost their job. They've got five kids, uh, one of them in college. And, uh, and this couple are actually a refugee couple. I came to know them uh, through our refugee ministry. And they're not even Christian. In fact, they're Muslim. Um, but uh, as a church, as we were able to come alongside them to ascertain their needs, to care for them, to love and encourage them, to practically help them, uh, they were unbelievably touched and uh you know I, I could see the question in their eyes why would you do this and at those moments it's a great opportunity to say uh to say it's the love of jesus that that brings us to this point where we can do that uh obviously i have different a different set of beliefs theologically and based on you know historical evidence and everything as to why i follow jesus uh rather than uh, the muslim faith um, but I believe it speaks volumes to people when we come in and when our kind of first act is to serve them, to love them, to extend to them the mercy and the grace of Christ. I think it uh, speaks with powerful gravity. Nick, you've always been kind of a go-to guy that I might go to for some words of wisdom. Uh, what are some parting words of wisdom that you might have for us about this subject of judging and mercy? Well, you know, I think in the in the context of Jesus' community, I think I was just thinking there's you need to if there's something which is going on and you're going to bring it to a friend, you, there has to be a common agreement that the thing that they're doing is wrong. Because if you don't have that, you're going to be coming from the outside in. If it, if it's springing organically, um, then from the you know uh, from that common agreement, then I think it's going to be uh, powerful. I think also us being motivated by love rather than any of the other motivations we might have, uh, fear or a sense of I'm better than you, or, you know, there's lots of other motivations we, we might have. And the last thing I'd say, the last kind of question that I ask myself is, 
is what I'm about to do, is it going to lead to the person's freedom? Is it going to lead to freedom from condemnation and death and to help them as we're all trying to grow? I have friends who hit me up about things and I love them enough. I'll hit them up about things. So I think, I think those, those three things, is there a common shared agreement about it to begin with? Is it motivated by love and, uh, and will it lead to freedom? Nick, I want to wrap this up, but I want to take us back to the cross uh, because you see this great gavel, this judgment of Jesus uh, against sin, but you see this incredible act of mercy of God towards you and I. Uh, Talk to me about how that's impacted you. Yeah, well, let me say, I'm at my worst, I'm at my most judgmental, my most condemning when I am far from reminding my heart about the love of Jesus and his act through the cross. You know, on the cross, God's wrath came down upon Jesus when it should have come down upon me. And if I ever move to that place where, um, where I, I, I've, just, I've, I've found that if I am someone who is in that, uh, that space of, of being someone who's too harsh condemning to others I found it's because I've moved away from that I think that we need to go back and remind ourselves of that every day multiple times a day you know when was the last time that in worship or reading the word or looking at a sunset I've not just wept with thankfulness and joy for God's kindness to me and if I move from that then uh, I'm actually uh, not much use in fact I'm worse than not much use I can do some damage yeah, oh, that's beautifully said. I think the cross is just dripping with mercy uh, for all of us. And um, it's amazing that God would have mercy on any of us. But he's not only had mercy, but he's rich and rich in mercy. And doesn't that lead us to repentance? Isn't it the kindness of God that leads us there? Thanks so much, Nick. Uh, great to be with you. And now may the great God of mercy be yours. May Jesus Christ drench you with his mercy, his compassion, and grace, letting you know that you are no longer judged by him. And then now set you free from the gavel that you and I have sometimes carried and free now to love and express mercy to others. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit our website, northcoastcalvary.org.